Tonight's sermon, this is the third uh, part in the three-part mini-series in Romans. Uh, The first part was uh, that uh, the righteous God makes the unrighteous righteous. The second part was that he does it righteously and we can therefore trust him. And the third part uh, I've titled All, 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 which is hopefully memorable and easy to remember. All, All, All. Now, why have I done that? Because what I hope that we will see tonight is that this gospel about God's Son is a message for all. If you're anything like me, then you will find it easy to wander through life being mainly concerned about the next thing in front of you. What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? Uh, What time am I going to do this? What's the next task that I'm supposed to be doing? Uh, And it's easy to forget about the unseen world, about what God is doing in the world. It's easy to forget about uh, what God will do in the world in the future, about this present world coming to an end, about the Lord Jesus returning and uh, bringing in the new creation, uh, of him raising the dead to life uh, and ushering in his eternal kingdom. It's easy to uh, just go through life forgetting that in our mundane day-to-day that that is what is truly happening in the world. All around the world, God is gathering people to himself and uh, being a part of God's kingdom and belonging to Jesus is the most important thing that is happening in the world and in our lives. And so I hope that tonight, uh, by an impression of the word, uh, our eyes will be lifted and our eyes will be opened to this global gospel, this global gathering of people to God's Son. And that that will give uh, some grandeur and gravity to our lives. And that we will see that our lives uh, find their purpose in his purpose. It's not that we are going to create purpose tonight, but that we will, uh, by seeing, enter into and be more aware of God's purposes that are already happening. So, I'm going to read uh, the opening lines of Romans chapter 1. And I want to tee up in the background that uh, right from the beginning, Paul is concerned to get a global picture in our minds. So I'll just read chapter 1, verse 1 to 6. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. And then he expands on that gospel. 
The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son. And then he expands on that son, who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Now, there's a question here for you. Look with me uh, what Paul says about this son in verses 3 and 4. It's uh, Paul, he's called to be an apostle, and he says that he's an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, and this gospel was promised beforehand through God's prophets in the Holy Scriptures, and this gospel is regarding God's son. And then he says two things about him. Uh, verse 3, who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David. That's thing one about this son. And thing two, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Now just think about that. The Son of God, it's, a, it's the gospel concerning his Son, and this Son was appointed the Son of God. How does that happen? If he already is the Son of God. Why does he say that he was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead? Uh, is Paul saying that he became the Son of God somehow by his resurrection from the dead? I think he is. But what do I mean? Well, it depends what we think uh, by the phrase Son of God. Now the thing is, in the Bible, the phrase Son of God can be applied to all different types of uh, people even the nation of Israel. So David, uh, sorry, Adam can be referred to as God's son. Um, we find that in the genealogy, in I think it's the Gospel of Luke. Uh, you know, uh, as he's working his way back from Joseph, he ends up getting to Adam, and then he says, Adam, uh, the son of God. Not only so, but uh, the nation of Israel can be called God's son. Uh, Moses says to uh, Pharaoh, uh, I want you to let my people go. I want, you, I want you to let my firstborn, Israel, go. So that's uh, the nation can be referred to as God's son. David can be referred to, King David, as God's son. And so the, 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 the phrase, son of God, uh, doesn't strictly refer to the son of God in a... Um, uh, in a divine sense, uh, but it can refer to uh, the Son of God uh, in a functional sense. And uh, I think that that's what's happening in these verses. And I think what's happening is um, 
the phrase, the Son of God, is being used to communicate that uh, Jesus uh, was appointed God's King. And so Son of God is a way of talking about Jesus as God's King. Now, in the background to this opening section um, uh, of Romans, uh, we have... (coughs) Sorry, let me just... Before we do that, let me quickly show you a couple of other points in the Bible where you get this same kind of um, language. Uh, And some of them are seen in Acts. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 36... Just turn there quickly... In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, we read this. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, Lord and Messiah. He has made him that. He has appointed him for that role. Or in uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 31, uh, we read this. For he has, this is God, uh, set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Uh, Jesus is that man appointed. And uh, I'm saying that he is appointed as Lord or King or Son of God. And that's the same kind of uh, uh, idea that's happening in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 to 11. uh, That famous... Um, famously called the Christ hymn, uh, which talks about the humbling, the humility of Jesus, where he, uh, where it says that he, uh, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So the movement here is that the Son of God, who is in very nature uh, God himself, humbles himself in the incarnation, becomes obedient to death, even death on the cross. And then it says, verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. But he's already said that he is in very nature God. Isn't God in the highest place? But here in verse 9 we have God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of uh, Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They acknowledge the name that I think he's been given is the name Lord. He is uh, the Son of God. And that is a position that he has been exalted to after his incarnation. 
So the Son of God had a mission. He was descended of David according to the flesh. Uh, That is what um, Paul says here at the beginning of Romans. But then he says, He was also, through the Spirit of holiness, appointed the Son of God in power. That kind of means powerfully appointed the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. And so all authority has been in heaven on earth has been given to Jesus as, been, as he's been exalted to this position as God's chosen and appointed king. And he rightfully fits that place because he truly is the son of God in his very own being. So I think that what Paul is saying in these opening verses of Romans is that uh, this Jesus, the son of God, Uh, about whom this message, this good news, is all about, he is truly God, he's truly the Son of God, and he's been appointed and positioned as God's special king. He's the Son of God. Now, why does that matter? For the opening of Romans, and for us today. And I hope that it will become a little bit clearer when I read Psalm 2. Because I think that Psalm 2 is in the background. Romans is a book about how uh, the good news has gone out to all of the Gentiles. The Gentiles are the nations. And it's a book about how uh, if anyone believes in their heart, um, uh, that uh, Jesus Christ is Lord, that's Romans chapter 10, uh, and confesses with their mouth that God, um, sorry, confesses with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they will be saved. Uh, It's a message about Jesus as Lord. And it's a message about uh, how um, how this is relevant for all of the nations. So let's think about Psalm 2 very quickly. If, if you've been able to flick there, has anybody got the page on Psalm 2? 543. 543. Now, this is what Psalm 2 says. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together. Against the Lord, that's Yahweh, and against his anointed, that's his king, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Notice here that it's the nations conspiring and it's the kings of the earth, that's all the kings of all the nations rising up against the Lord, against Yahweh and against Yahweh's king. But, verse 4, the one enthroned, see that kingly language, in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, look what the Lord says, what Yahweh says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim Yahweh's decree. He said to me, you are my son. You see that? 
I have installed my king, and now he says, he said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. You see that? I will give you the nations. The ends of the earth will be your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. So this is uh, what's happening in Psalm 2 here is, is Yahweh, the creator of all, has, a, has appointed, he set his king in Zion. That king now says, uh, the Lord Yahweh said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. That's him saying he's the son of God, that is, he is the king. And now what's happening is Yahweh is saying to him, uh, ask of me uh, um, of the nations and I will give them to you. And you will rule the whole world. And then look at verse 10. Therefore, you kings, that brings us back to the beginning of the psalm, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve Yahweh with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss the sun, that is, bow the knee to the sun. Kiss his ring on his hand and say, I pledge allegiance to him. Say, Christ is Lord, or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. But then look at this final line. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Yahweh has set his king, he's the son of God, and he's given the nations to him. And then after that moment in this Psalm 2 scene, he says to all the nations, surrender to the king. <laughs> Bow the knee to the king and confess Jesus is Lord, because blessed are all who take refuge in him. That's the positive, but negatively, uh, his wrath can flare up in a moment. Uh, and if you don't, you will be destroyed. Now that, I think, is that background to the beginning of Romans. And what Paul is saying in effect there, he says, this gospel that I've been set apart for, this gospel that was, this good news that was promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures, that we've just read about now in Psalm 2, concerning God's Son, right? We're back in Romans now. Can you see how it's coming together? He says, who as to his earthly life was descended of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. That resurrection from the dead moment is God saying, this is my appointed Son. Psalm 2 is happening. The, the plan to give him the nations has gone live. That is, the, that is massive. As a moment in history for us to, if we want to spot the biggest uh, moments in history, that's one of the biggest moments. God's son has been installed uh, in Zion and now it's time for the nations to come and bow the knee to him. And now what I want to do with the back, um, 
with the back half of this uh, sermon and our time together here, is just trace our way through Romans and feel the global uh, force of this gospel, of this message about Jesus. Feel uh, the way that Paul weaves through the letter all, all, all. Everybody, everybody, everybody. This is a global gospel uh, and I pray that we feel it. So let's have a quick look and we'll move pretty fast now and we'll touch on about 15 little scriptures. Okay, so move with me uh, through your Bible. So here we go. We'll start um, in chapter 1, verse 5. And we're just going to spot how often this theme of, of everybody, how widespread uh, this gospel is. Look what he says here in chapter 1, verse 5. Through him, this is through, through Jesus, we received grace and apostleship. Side note, notice how it says we received grace through him. That's the same as we got in uh, Psalm 2, isn't it? Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles. You see that? All the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. Let's move down to chapter 1, verse 14. Paul says, I am a debtor. He's talking now about his desire to go to Rome. Um, and he says that he wants to go to Rome because there's Gentiles in Rome. And he says, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. In other words, he's saying, I am a debtor to everybody. I want to preach the gospel to everybody. Why? Look at chapter 1, verse 16, a couple of verses down. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. To everyone who believes. And why is that necessary? Chapter 1, verse 18. Because the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the, un, uh, the godlessness and wickedness of people. All of it. Everybody, ultimately, Paul says, is in trouble. Unrighteousness is everywhere. Sin is a global problem. And that's going to be a problem, chapter 2, verse 6 now, because God will repay each person according to what, to, to what they have done. Everybody will be repaid. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. And listen to this, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honour and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favouritism. There will be a universal judgement. Look what Paul then says in chapter 3, verse 9 to 12, when he gets to the end of his uh, his analysis of humanity and he's saying that we are um, we are hopeless he says in chapter 3 verse 9 
what shall we conclude then? Do we have, do we Jews, that is, have any advantage over the Gentiles? Not at all, he says, because we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. When Paul says Jews and Gentiles, that means everybody. They're the two, they're the two categories of people in the world. When he says they're all under sin, all are under the power of sin. And then look how he goes on about this, how wide this problem is in verse uh, 10 and 11. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Can you feel the global problem? And look what he says in chapter 3, verse 19. Then he says, now we know that whatever the law says, that was the Jewish law, it says to those who are under the law, and it says it to them by way of example, so that every mouth may be silenced. Every mouth and the whole world held accountable to God. The whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight uh, by the works of the law. And then Paul comes into his good news. And just as the problem is widespread and it uh, is relevant for everybody, everybody's um, in a hopeless situation, then Paul says, but, the, but now, chapter uh, 3, verse 21, the, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to a few people. No, that's not what it says. To all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Can you feel how widespread this is? Everybody is, uh, has sinned, and everybody is justified by faith alone. That's the way they're justified now. It's, it's the same solution for everybody. And then we move down to chapter 4, verse 13. He ends up saying uh, that Abraham is an example of faith, and Abraham was an example of faith while he was, um, before he became an official Jew by being circumcised. And then look at the, um, this global uh, scope popping its head up again here in chapter 4, verse 13. Look what was promised to Abraham. That's chapter 4, verse 13. It says, it was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world. You hear that? Heir of the world. Are you an heir of uh, a property? Or an heir of perhaps a, a mini empire? You might be heir to uh, Bill Gates. Donald Trump owns a lot of property, doesn't he? That's a lot of property. You could be an heir to Donald Trump and get all of his stuff. That doesn't actually compare, does it, to being heir of the world. That's that global reach. 
It's not tucked away in a corner, this blessing to Abraham and the work of God amongst the Jews. It was ultimately so that he would be heir of the world. As we move forward and we get to chapter 5, verse 12, uh, Paul ends up saying that, uh, he's been saying that um, at the beginning of chapter 5, because we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And then he wants to uh, take a step back and show the mechanics of of um, how all this happened, and he sets up uh, two um, representative people as Adam on the one hand and Jesus on the other. And look what he says in chapter 5, verse 12, and he wants to talk about how widespread sin and death was through Adam. Look, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin... And in this way, death came to all people, because all sinned. As universal as death is a problem, that is how universal the gospel solution is. Uh, or in chapter 5, verse 18, look what it says there. Consequently... Just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people who are in Christ. We can see, because it says further down, um, those who receive the free gift of life. Um, so there we have uh, Paul at this point. He's setting up in order to show how big of a problem sin was, how big of a problem death was. He said everybody that was born into Adam was born into sin and death. That's how widespread the problem is. And as surely as that was the problem, it's just as sure that everybody who's in Christ will receive uh, all that is Christ's life and sonship uh, and blessings. Uh, moving forward, uh, we get to chapter 8, verse 19. What does he say in chapter 8, verse 19? This is where he starts to talk about uh, this gospel has actually got the whole creation in view. Look what he says. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Creation itself uh, is waiting uh, for this gospel to finally reach uh, its consummation. Uh, chapter 10, verse 10 to 12, moving forward again. He says, uh, he's, he's just been talking about how um, God's word hasn't failed to Israel because not everybody who's a part of Israel uh, physically belongs to the true people of God. Uh, and then he wants to say, um, uh, however, that the message is for um, everyone who believes. And so he says in chapter 10, verse 10, uh, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Anyone who believes in him. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For, verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. <coughs> As we move down, we get to chapter 14, verse 9 to 12. And look what he says here. He's talking about Jesus, and he's talking about how everybody belongs to Jesus. 
And he says, for this very reason, Christ died and returned to life. Why? So that he might be the Lord of both the dead, those who are dead now, the presently dead, and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister, or why do you treat them with contempt? For listen to this, for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. Every knee, every tongue. So then, verse 12, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. He's the Lord of all. All will stand, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and each of us will give an account. Uh, in the chapters that we blazed over, not, uh, from 9 through to 11, uh, he wants to, Paul takes time um, defending and saying, this gospel is in line with what God has always been doing. What God's doing at the moment is he's gathering in the Gentiles. Uh, that's, uh, that's God's purpose at the moment. Um, he's, the, this is the phrase that he uses. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. This is for the Gentiles. He says, Israel, that's the Jews, has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. It's that Psalm 2, the global gathering is happening. Now, why have I done that? And why has Paul woven through this letter all these um, signals uh, um, that speak about how widespread and how widely relevant the gospel is? And I think it's because, one, because it's just simply true. Uh, it is a message for all people. We are all um, uh, lost apart from Christ, and everybody needs his salvation. Um, and uh, secondly, because I think he wants the Romans to feel that uh, sense of mission, that importance that uh, Jesus is God's king, He's the global king on the throne um, and that he wants them to get on board with this mission because he wants their support. And so we'll finish just by looking at what Paul says at the end of his letter in chapter 15, verse 18 to 24. He says this. <coughs> uh, sorry, we'll start at verse 17. He says, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way round to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. You see that? He wants to preach the gospel of Christ where Christ is not known so that he's not building on someone else's foundation. Rather, he says, as it is written in Isaiah, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. 
Paul's banking his life on that word. That's what Isaiah said. Those who have not told, uh, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Paul says, therefore, I, that's why I want to be going to places where Christ hasn't been named. And then he says, verse 22, this is why I have often been hindered from coming to you, Romans. I haven't come to you yet because the gospel has already got to you. And I want to go to places where the gospel hasn't been preached because I feel the burden. I feel an obligation to Greeks and barbarians, to the wise, to the foolish. So I want to preach the gospel to everybody because everybody's lost in Adam. Uh, everybody can be saved in Jesus. Uh, God's king is on the throne and judgment day is coming. But grace is being poured out right now. And then he says in verse 23, But now that there is no more room, uh, no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been looking for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. So he said, can you see that? He's got his sights on Spain, and he wants to go via Rome. I hope to see you while passing through, and that you will assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while, that you will assist me on my journey there. So I think what Paul's done is he's, he's shown them this global gospel, he's told them about his part in that, he's, a, he's an apostle to the Gentiles, and he says, now I want your help as I come and visit you, and I'll be encouraged by you, and then head off onto Spain, and I want you guys to be on board with that same mission when I get there. And why does he say that as a preacher himself? And I'll just finish by reading uh, some words from chapter 10 again. It's because Paul knows this. And I hope that um, as we finish, you'll notice that Paul doesn't, although there's all these threads in the letter about mission. Um, Paul is a missionary. He's a missionary to the Gentiles. Everybody needs to hear this message. He doesn't actually say to them, get on board and be missionaries. He flags up a few workers at the end of the chapter. In chapter 16, you know, he's, when he says, greet certain people, he says, uh, like verse 9 in chapter 16, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, um, and various other people who are called workers in the Lord and who helped Paul in his journey. But he doesn't tell them specifically to be missionaries. And so I'm not going to do that either. Uh, my hope uh, is just that our hearts, purely by hearing about this reality, uh, follow their natural course. And, uh, and that that overflows to an impulse of godly living and support in some way for that mission. Look at what he says then as, I, as we close. In chapter 10, verse 11 to 15, he says, As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Anyone. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe if in the one of whom they have never heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? And we'll close there. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, thank you for this word. Thank you for lifting our eyes tonight to your son on the throne and to that mission of gathering in all the Gentiles uh, of whom we are a part. I pray, God, that you would open up our eyes and our hearts to see that mission, uh, to see the global scale of what we are caught up in. I ask, God, that you would stir us to pray for people, uh, to support missionaries, uh, and to um, and whatever other uh, works that you want to achieve in our hearts uh, tonight um, through this word, help us to see that this is a big uh, issue, and that we uh, have received great grace to be caught up in Christ. Amen.